So this evening's um, title of this evening's Dharma talk is Meditative Experiences. So quite often, uh, frequently, people have their med meditation experiences, and especially if they're pretty fluffy or pretty, you know, um, um, insightful or profound or on and on, and you can all kinds of things that show up there. And uh, and they may be they may be interesting. They may be you may want to try to return to them. Uh, all kinds of things can uh, can transpire. They might they might be uh, blow your mind. They might be all of that. They are they have their own quality, their own truth to them, but they are not realization. As I've said before, I think I said it just recently. If you think you're realized, you are not, because it is not a state of mind. It is not some other state that you arrive at. Experiences, just to use, talk about it simply, experiences will come and go. The experience of feeling at one with everything, the experience of feeling separate from everything, any kind of uh, feeling or conclusion you may come to about any damn thing won't last. The most terrible, horrible suffering goes away. The most wonderful, joyous celebration happiness and delight comes apart because it is compounded. It's dependently risen. It's dependent on all the other circumstances around it. That's why you, you or me or any of us can't really get a control of this and try to just be happy. We realize that there sometimes we can maybe temporarily drop some of the negativity or find a way to dis distract ourselves from, um, from things that are um, are put upon us or things that we're tied to or things that are giving us stress or, or even bringing about fear. We might be able to get away from that temporarily. But even that does not last. This is the whole teaching of impermanence. Anything that shows up is going away in 10 minutes or 10 years or uh, 100 years, whatever it is, it won't last. But who you actually are, your actual, ident actual identity has not come into manifestation. Therefore, it cannot leave. It can't go away. It can't vanish. But we mistaken our true nature, our completely true absolute nature for the relative situation, which is so damn magnetic. It's so magnetizing. It's so attractive. It's so seductive that we just want to go to it with our nerve endings and get stimulation. Anything from from eating uh, wonderfully delicious food to listening to gorgeous uh, music to uh, sexual activity to something as simple as just jogging every day to, to get, get us away from the fundamental disturbance or anxiety or whatever. Find something we can do to cover that up or there's even forms of meditation that will deal directly with disturbances that you had that will have them back off or move or and so on into a different form or a different something more acceptable and so this is why you those of you who have listened to me a little bit will hear me say when you sit down to meditate your only goal there your only um, intention there is to just watch what moves including your own body when you fall asleep. You do not have to stay awake. When I'm saying that, of course, you're going to sit there and, and try to be awake, but you don't have to maintain that with some kind of a te technique to make sure that you don't fall asleep. I would say if you continue to bob or something, go like this because you're sleepy, then get up and go to bed. Go take a nap. Take 20 minutes, take a half an hour. So relate with the situation as it, as it shows up rather than relate with the situation with a bunch of damn standards about it that actually stop you from seeing your true nature, but give you the illusion that you're doing better, that you're improving. You can improve. I'm not saying that you might not have something that could be called improvement, possibly by others that notice that you don't argue with them anymore. You might not notice that. Or from others that notice that you listen. You actually, sometimes people, when this begins to happen, someone who uh, in your family possibly who 
is used to you kind of interrupting them or not listening very well, suddenly they get kind of paranoid because all of a sudden you're looking at them, not saying anything, and you appear to be listening. And they think something is wrong. And nothing's wrong. It's just that you're just looking at what they're saying, possibly without any comments. But also not necessarily with any kind of interior comments that you aren't voicing. You're actually receiving what they're saying. I've said this hundreds of times. If you're actually listening, you don't know what the hell they're saying. I'm not kidding you. This is not just to be funny. If you're listening to somebody, you won't know exactly what they're saying. So this doesn't mean that the experiences that you might have sometimes in the Japanese tradition are called kensho or, or some kind of insight into your fundamental nature. You might get some insight into the fundamental nature that is ultimate. Could be a flash of that. What happens is the ego mind, that part of the mind, the seventh consciousness, that part of the of the eight consciousnesses called the paranoid mind, will try to contain that, hold on to that insight, because it wants it as territory. I'm getting somewhere. I need to hold on to that. Sometimes people will even say, "How do I get? How do I get back to that? I had this one insight. How can I get back to that more clarity?" Sometimes people will even say to me, "I was meditating. I had a greatest meditation. It was everything was so clear and vivid, and and." Uh, and I, and I might even say to that person, oh, that's so disappointing. <laughs> and why? Because it won't last. It may last a week. It may last longer, possibly. But fundamentally, a state of mind is the very nature of a state of mind. It's going to turn into another state, another state, another state. But mind only doesn't have a, a state other than insofar as we attribute something to it because we're just referring to it as mind. Anytime you refer to anything, you've blocked off what it is. It's just for convenience sake, sake for, uh, uh, it's, it's just, uh, we need to talk about it somehow, apparently, because that's what we're doing. So the fundamental awakening comes from all the structures that we're grasping at, all the other things that we're pushing away, and the things that we don't seem to be able to ignore when that whole structure of me, 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 and my stuff, how I get somewhere, how I stop this, start that, control this, when that starts to crack and come apart, this can become very scary and frightening. And you might just say, eh, I've had enough of this. Eh, I, you know, meditation's okay, but you know, screw that. I, I don't feel any better. I'm going to go and I'm going to take up bowling or I'm going to take up, I'm going to go back more into yoga or I'm going to uh, go and see my, uh, my therapist and deal with uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, which makes more sense to me. That is all fundamentally correct. You should do that. I'm not here to correct anyone and say, oh, don't do that. No, maybe you need to do a little of each. Maybe you need to do yoga and uh, sitting meditation. Maybe you need to have a therapist that can help you with certain kinds of issues that are plaguing you. It's possible. So I'm not, some teachers might say, no, all you can do everything in meditation. Not necessarily. It's completely uniquely different with each person. And this blanket teaching that most I won't say most, but a lot of teachers actually just have one kind of teaching for everyone. And I would say it needs to be very specific. You need to be your own meditation teacher, but you're probably going to need someone to help you with that so that you don't just end up believing your thoughts and talking uh, and ending up being some kind of a highly polished and hidden narcissist, someone that looks very peaceful, looks very contained, looks very kind, looks, 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 appearance, 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 but fundamentally is just as self-centered and greedy as someone who's more obviously that way. Realization of your true nature, just it's just that, it's just that. It's not an experience. It may have some experiential aspects to it, but, but that's like noise down the hallway. That's not what is right here. It's just other things that are showing up. They won't last. But realization can't go where, go anywhere because it has not appeared. And why hasn't it appeared? Because it's always been there. So you could say it in a relative sense, you stop covering it up. You stop covering up your true nature, your Buddha nature. It's not easy. It can get harder sometimes lately, especially I've said, because I have people uh, talk to me who keep looking for some kind of advancement, some kind of, shouldn't I be, be have been meditating for eight or 10 years or longer? 
still struggling. I'm still at war. Experiences come and go. Here's an experience. Temporary. While it's here, pleasant, possibly. But it slowly goes away. Everything is doing anything that arises goes down right away or in a thousand years but it goes down and when that's happening in the mind stream especially when it's a a feeling a thought a perception of i think i think this is anutra samyak sambodhi i think this is enlightenment i think i'm in a state of samadhi this is just bullshit i'm here to tell you you want to listen to it and i'm saying it in a, in a strong way like that so that you can see that what is arising there is just untrue it's and it's so incredibly untrue i can't think of anything to call it other than that so that way you won't mistaken what i'm saying about it if you're listening to me you know, i might be your teacher for the next uh half hour and i might be the, your teacher for the rest of your life that is your business i'm not here to promise you anything market anything other than if you show up uh because of uh, the vow that i am uh, observing which is to be with all things and save all beings. If they come before me, then that I intend to do that with your permission. Cheers, I'm bowing. How does looking at the negativity in our mind change it? Or what changes when we look at the negativity in our mind? Bowing. Thank you. Good, good question. So sitting down, holding still, and what's going to rise is anything you've been try trying to avoid. Because the, when you hold a body very still, the very subtle movement in the mind stream starts to show up. And when that starts to show up, then if you have been stuffing or avoiding or pushing away or in some other way, evaluating the negativity in the mind stream and managing to keep your distance from it, sitting down. This is why it's sometimes called voluntary uh, dissatisfaction or voluntary suffering. You're going to sit down and actually feel what is arising in your body mind complex. So, the idea there is to observe the suffering rather than label that and go to the breath or some kind of avoidance situation, which is sometimes taught, not incorrect. It's just a way of working with the mind. So it's not incorrect. When suffering arises or difficulty or stress or worry arises by just looking at it, which I hope I'm addressing your question, by just observing it eventually, not the first time, 10th time, 300th time, but eventually you begin to see that which is, which is arising is dependently arisen instead of that which is arising is something I need to get rid of or I need to get more of or I need to explain or I need to blame somebody for. Abandoning what arises for what you think it is. In other words, leaving it to blame or leaving it to blame yourself. I'm a terrible person. I'm never going to get this right. I'm just so ashamed of myself. I was just a constant wrestling with my mind and trying to get better, trying to improve, improve. Again, I'll come back to it again and say, I'm not saying you shouldn't do approach it this way. That would be up to you. Maybe that's the only way you can do this. But to return to your question, how does, how does looking at the, at the difficulty of the suffering help us? Is that what you're asking me? Yes. So the way that works is that over time, eventually you begin to see through looking at that without pushing it, aggression, looking at that without pulling on it or blaming anybody or doing any manipulation with it, passion, and without distracting yourself into anything, distracting yourself into a mantra, distracting yourself into any kind of ideation around uh, uh, some kind of preaching to yourself about anything, using any slogan or anything at all. Eventually, you see what that fundamentally is. You see dependent origination yourself. You actually see what the Buddha pointed at yourself and you are certain of it. And as soon as you see dependent origination in the so-called otherness, before that's complete, you see that there's no one here either. There's no solid being anywhere. The ego itself is dependently arisen also. It separates into parts so that there can be what? War, peace, any kind of polarity, life and death up and down, back and forth, success and failure, beautiful and homely, any polarity, they're everywhere. So by looking at the difficulty, looking at the suffering, which is what the Buddha did, he looked at it and he said, life is suffering, 
the cause is wanting something else, wanting something else. And that increases that suffering and increases the illusion of a separate being who is suffering. The suffering needs to come and needs to go. But the, the identification with a personhood, a me and my suffering, that suffering doesn't belong to anyone, doesn't belong to you. The very consciousness that shows up as me, the very consciousness itself doesn't belong to anyone. It completely can, can completely fall apart. It is also what, what arises in this mouth that you're hearing is dependently arisen. I'm speaking out of what I see. I am what I see. I am this. That's how I can speak in this way. And I would say on top of this, so you're very clear about what my intention is, don't believe anything I say. That may sound to you like, like I'm trying to some kind of go uh, in a negative way and seduce you into being a student of mine. I am not. What am I saying? Find out yourself. I'll help you. And the only way I can really help you is when you bring me the barriers that you have, just like when uh, Chiazan's asking me about how does this help, uh, then I, I can comment on it, hopefully, in a way that would help you uh, rather than make things worse for you. Sometimes I might make things worse. I don't know. I do the best I can. Further, Chazan or anyone else? Chazan Bowing, is there a difference between emotions and thoughts, Bowing? Well, there's certainly a differentiation uh, there and what they actually, we don't even know what thoughts are, let alone what emotions are. Uh, like, what are they made of? Are they made of uh, tinker toys or what is it nuts and bolts that holds that all together that makes it so damn uh, realistic. So Trunk Parampache, his way of skating out of responding to that was to say that thoughts are, or emotions are just high speed thoughts. So I think there's something to that, but there's, there's something missing there. And I think from my point of view, from my understanding, uh, what is missing is uh, uh, we don't really know what it is because it, the very nature of consciousness, when it gets in that area, starts to become very, very nebulous and, and formless. Uh, it, 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 it's not so, it's not formless, formless, formless in the sense that there's no form. It's just that the form is so incredibly, has so much discontinuity that it, it, that if it holds up any, for any length of time at all, uh, it's, it's through the force of the consciousness of a particular individual. Like if I say, um, I'm going to say something. Imagine um, uh, a pine tree uh, that's uh, 30 feet tall. Now, everybody's coming up with a different thing. You might see a pine tree in the woods. You might see it just a, um, a green screen with a pine tree on it. You could see it so many different ways. And I'm saying, imagine a pine tree. Now, imagine that half of the pine tree down the middle is purple, and the other half on this side uh, is a, a light pink. Got it? Where the hell did that come from? Here, I just talked about something using concepts and have created something in your mind stream that if you were to write it down, or if you were to actually, uh, if you had a little bit, even a little bit of artistic ability or had something that was pink paint and something that was whatever color, you could actually draw that and you would, we would all do the same thing. And yet this has just transpired through concepts using the imagination. And the imagine this area of the imagination is where there's no past and there's no future and there's really no space all the space there you could say is psychological or spiritual but when this body mind drops you're not going anywhere body mind goes away and that's when you realize when you die that's when you realize it that you, you never were a living being you were always just consciousness only without identity, unless the causes and conditions that arose in your mind stream that you ignored or fought with and got you, your mind all up in knots, that same knotted aspect of consciousness will still be there when the body mind drops. So that's what causes you to come back and reincarnate again, if I may be, be so bold as to say it that way. Am I condemning you to something? No, I could be totally wrong. I've just been looking at it for 80 years. She is on bowing. It means, ahead, sir. what is it to feel our emotions deeply? Sometimes you'll say to feel deeply bowing. 
Start by not blaming anyone or giving anyone credit, including yourself. Don't do anything with it. Just the emotion. No, no a commentary on the emotion. Let it take you out. Let it wipe you out. Who you actually are is completely indestructible. You can't destroy something that has no manifestation, that is consciousness only, that is without form. Jeez, I'm buying is can can that show up as a practice on the cushion, an active practice on the cushion, bowing? What would you say? What's your experience? Jeez, I'm I have, I have difficulty feeling deeply without indulging the stories around the emotion. And I think that's where I'm trying to look more closely is how to work with feeling deeply without it being a you know, a pity party or, or the stories that inevitably arise. I wouldn't worry about it. Get to the cushion, sit down, whatever happens, including the pity party, just watch. Because otherwise you're just correcting, you're just using aspects of the mind to keep you ensnared in the knots in the mind that have to do with right and wrong, up and down, back and forth, should be, shouldn't be. This is, this is awareness. This isn't awareness. All I'm seeing is awareness. All I'm seeing is Buddha nature. It just doesn't know it. You have to know, you have to know what this is. And it has to be certainty. You can't, it can't be guesswork. I think I might be getting enlightened or probably not. You just are only seeing one side of the circle looks like a straight line. When it's circular, it's samsara. More, please. Jeez, another question I had is around the cycles of practice where there may be times where a lot of intense practice is happening and then for no particular reason, it's easier to miss forms. And I'm wondering if there's anything to consistent practice that's important in seeing this. Like, can we, I guess I'm asking, can we lose awareness when we have big gaps in practice, bowing? I don't think so. So everyone's practice is uh, is completely unique. And some, some people need to live in a monastery, become monks. Some people don't need to do that. Some people, uh, some people don't need to do this at all, and they aren't here. But if you're here, you're probably at least considering, or, or you are already in the process of training your mind, whether you have formally taken vows or not, that's up to you. But anything that's happening in a particular a person's mind, including not meditating for three months, and then coming back and meditating some more. This is your karma, your business. Nothing to correct. I spent many, many decades before that became apparent to me of, of thinking there was a right and a wrong and a correct and an incorrect and an enlightened and a deluded and all of the polarities that we constantly are seduced into because ego feels secure believing this or knowing this but the if you realize your true nature you won't give a shit what happens i say it in a crude kind of way because it's kind of like that you care about it but you also see dependent origination and you know that you that you there's there are places to put your energy they're not about trying to control dependent origination and get and control something that has been is like an avalanche that started 300 years ago or, or uh, 2,500 years ago during the Peloponnesian Wars where everything was that way and, and here it comes. Here's the, uh, the other end of the landslide. What, you, what can you do? Work on your mind. That's something that actually doesn't have time and space in the conventional sense, but it will. As it has been said in the past, if you want to know what your past karma was, look at your body. It's come out of the past. If you want to know what you're, where you're headed, look at the mind. Whatever's happening in the mind, this is going to it's going to find its own form. In other words, when you die, what is left in consciousness, if it's still uh, making up shit, then you're going to come right back as this other kind of lesson plan. And on and on and on and on and on and on. And if you want to do that, then I wouldn't bother meditating at all. Your karma will take you in circles, more than likely. But if you're interested in seeing what is true for yourself, not something, not something I'm preaching, other than I'm saying everything's dependently arisen. That's not something I invented. It's something I'm looking at. Something that was told to me many years ago. And 
took me a long time to understand what was being pointed at. But what you're talking about there is, uh, is just, you're just aware of it. You're able to describe it very clearly. That just means you're aware. But don't abandon what you see for what you think it is, or don't abandon what you see for what you think should be done. Something needs to be done. You won't be able to help it. You will just be doing it. You will actually notice that you're doing what needs to be done rather than you sit back and look and say, well, let's see, maybe I should, maybe I should do, or should I do this or this? Anytime you have an either or, don't do anything. Just the, just the, the two ors are telling you that it's not ready. You're not ready for choicelessness. So you, it's choiceless to sit still and watch the movement until one side starts to open up and that's where you fall through hardly without any effort at all choiceless cheese i'm bowing Further. sure i have a question about kindness how what is it to practice kindness when we're in one of these you know emotional storms or things that uh, prolonged difficulty bowing i can say it very simply and then you can take apart what i'm saying and ask me what you really want to know Get pissed off and then be kind. How's that? Be genuine. Be genuine. Be genuine. This doesn't mean you have the right to go out and club people or hit somebody who has offended you. But feel the emotion. Just don't, as I've said before, don't hook up the vocal cords. And when you do hook up the vocal cords, make your consideration about the welfare of who's in front of you. Even if they seem to be triggering your negativity. They're just trying to get out of their suffering. And quite often, the way people get out of suffering is to download on somebody else, blame them. Or they might blame themselves around you so that you get drawn into helping them with their own self-blame. There's all kinds of different loop-to-loops uh, that go on in that area. So simpler is better. Go ahead, Jason. I'm not sure what my next question is yet. Thank you. Certainly. Anyone else? Jason Bowen. Jason. Um, you said that when you realize your true nature, that you'll be certain of it, or there'll be a certainty there. What's the difference between being certain um, that you have seen your true nature versus a belief that the ego has that that you've seen it um bowing one is the truth and the other one's bullshit that's the difference the other one is conditional one is unconditional there's nothing can destroy it because it is not it is not it doesn't manifest only that which does not manifest can never be destroyed. That which shows up can be knocked over, can be pushed away, can be argued with, can be someone with really powerful logic can come in and just blow your all of your ships out of the water. But if there's nothing there, there's nothing to push. There's nothing. There, it's that kind of confidence. It's a, it is a fundamental confidence that has no ballast, a fundamental con confidence that has no structure. It's, it's, uh, I understand your, your, your idea about there, uh, there, what you're asking the contrast there, but there, there really is no contrast there. Is it one of those things where you kind of have to see it to understand or see it to know it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's exactly what it is. So practice, you know, Jason, you're a young man, practice for another 30, 40 years, and maybe you realize it, maybe you won't. As Nagarjuna said 2,000 years ago, you may attain realization, you may not. He had a great sense of humor. Now, why is that funny? Because everyone already is not separate from the Buddha. That's why it's so humorous. And all of us, out of fear, are covering it up. Out of hope, are covering it up. Out of some kind of threat or some kind of otherness. Rebelling. <clears throat> he talked about the body mind um dropping when we pass away um yes but there 
you talked about kind of that not quality that can continue. Is there a part of the mind that drops away and a part that doesn't? Bowing. Could be. There's no boundaries there, so everything can go every direction. Anything can happen uh, as, as, a, as an occurrence. Just like if I say, uh, think of a, of, a, of, a, of a tabletop in the middle of the desert in Arizona has four legs. It's sitting in the middle of the desert. What color is the table? Everybody's going to have a different color because you're creating that. I'm, I'm kind of creating it, but I'm just giving you something to imagine. And you will think it might be a, a memory of a, something you saw. It might be something you've never seen that you just suddenly see a chartreuse table. It's dependently arisen. And the dependent origination is so, as we back out of a dependent origination that's obvious, this causes this. As we as we leave that realm and go from the cement block realm, slowly out of this kind of solidity into the movement of incense, which makes no noise if you hit it, but it's still a manifestation, you slowly are going into the intermediate state. The intermediate state is where consciousness is still extant in the sense that it's it's there. And you may be have access to that, you may not. Some people do have access to deeper realms of consciousness. Others don't. So there's lots of levels there. There's anything is possible there. The past and the future, uh, uh, from the relative sense where we see it, we measure past and future by something that is manifested, uh, an object, a thing that's a very low frequency, it's an object. But we, But that eventually decays. So it falls apart, comes apart. So therefore, creating the illusion of what? Time. Because we're attached to this body. If you, if you, as Dogen said in the 13th century, and I've been repeating for ever since I heard it, was drop off body and mind. It doesn't mean get rid of your body or don't believe your body or, or get rid of your mind or don't believe it. it. Just just look at the attachment to it as me. This is me. This doesn't mean you can't enjoy, stop, you need to stop enjoying ice cream or riding in a roller coaster or, or any other thing, going swimming and enjoy the sense fields. Of course, you should do that. This is not, This is I'm not looking at this in the way that it was looked at in ancient times where you had to be celibate and you had to stay away from everybody and you had to live on a mountaintop or stay in a monastery and follow the, the abbot's orders. You need to have some of that, a little bit. We need some kind of structure Otherwise, we, we just don't train the mind. We just uh, keep distracting ourselves into this this situation after another. And it's not that that's wrong. It's just that it, you still have to face uh, when the body that you're so attached to, when it starts to come apart, either in uh, sickness or, or aging, but eventually death, sickness, aging, and death. Any one of those, uh, either one of those will happen, but probably before death, unless it's a auto accident or something but it comes to an end. But who you are does not come to an end. Don't believe that. Don't believe me. Con consider it. I'm, I'm standing here, sitting here saying that. Who you are. I'm looking at your Buddha nature now. I'm looking at it. Don't give up. Keep going. Go ahead, please. Ivan bowing. Ivan, um, you said that the um, I'll, I'll call it peak experiences at during meditation are are uh, they go away. They might be real at the time, I guess, but um, they don't last. But do they point to or guide one along? So you're talking about peak experiences, which was first coined by Abraham Maslow, I think, uh, 50 years ago, something like that. And of course, yes, they, they mean something. It's like the Japanese word for that or is the Kensho. Uh, in some kind of insight into the deeper level of understanding of uh, the nature of the mind and of being a living being. So, of course, 
there's there's some meaning there, but but it doesn't last. That that kind of insight may feel pretty good for 20 minutes, for three days. It might go on longer than that. Some people actually use that as a credential that they're awake. They had this experience, and uh, so now they're just going to operate out of that insight. I don't have any insight. I don't need insight because I'm looking at it all the time. So as far as peak experiences, uh, using that same term, uh, have a feeling that things are uh, your, your, your fundamental understanding of your delusion, of your confusion, of your suffering and everything. We might have some kind of a breakthrough happening there. Those are good. Those are valuable, but they don't last. And you can't, if you cling to them, it doesn't work so well to do that. Eventually, the, the cave of demons uh, shows up again because it's part of relative truth. Right and wrong, up and down, back and forth. The eight worldly dharmas of success and failure, enlightenment and delusion are part of that. There is no relative enlightenment. Enlightenment has always been here because it is, it is uh, eternal. It is, you have to use that word, even though that's a relative term, but it's, it's never gone anywhere. It, it can't. There isn't anywhere. It's not separate from anything. So it's not two, it's non-dual. Advaita. Dvaita is two, Advaita is not two. Simply put. You can see that. Thanks much, Bowie. Welcome. That was a good yup. I like that. Yup. <laughs> yup. Jeez, I'm going. I asked you a question at open heart tonight regarding ASAP. I was trying to look at my thoughts and it seems like nothing shows up then and it seems like i've asked you any number of questions where there's some subtle thought that i don't think is a thought can, how can i see that for myself without needing you to point to it for me well uh may need to be some pointing but not very much you're sitting a lot you're sitting what 20 hours a week or something like that somewhere in that area that's a that's a lot of sitting but you're also a monk. You also have a full-time job. So I would say just continue to return to it, return to it, return to the, the teacher, the teaching in the community, the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha, and return to the wall and continue. The, 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 there is a kind of progress on the spiritual path, but it is not the mundane kind. So the, the spiritual progress is like less and less and less, less reference points, less need for protection, less need to be right. Less, 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 and it, fun, it fundamentally ends up in uh, not wanting anything, no demand whatsoever. This doesn't mean that you might not go through periods where you go back into really wanting something, really demanding something, really going after something. That can come and go. But if you, if that does show up, that that is not a, a sign that you're somehow backsliding or going going in a different direction or losing your grip on reality or losing your practice. That's the relative path of success and failure. The true, to the true spiritual path is whatever arises is the path. And for some people that's extremely difficult. Other people it's extremely difficult. Doesn't have anyone have a really, really good question? Jason Bowing. Go ahead, Jason. Um, have you always had a dark spot on the back of your right hand? No, I just put that on there today to get your attention. No, I'm a, I take I take blood thinners so I don't have a stroke, or if I have a stroke, it, it won't kill me or whatever. And so the blood thinners tend to. Uh, mean that if I bang into something, then it busts the capillaries in there, and then I start to bleed under the skin, and uh, it's just a mess. Uh, so I, I highly recommend that you don't uh, you don't have that. Whatever it is, I got. <laughs> I've got old age. Uh, uh, that being said, you can get old if you want to. It's not too bad. Okay, thanks for for sharing. I noticed that. I wanted to see yep. what that was about. Yes. Yeah, 
pretty pretty unsightly, isn't it? Do you still like me? Just uh, I, I think so. Okay. I have another one over here. This is a competition on this side. I could tell you more about my health, but you don't want to hear it. <laughs> Jeez, I'm bowing. Yes. There's a question from Soltrum. Soltrum. Is the use of practices such as prayer or breathing exercises off the cushion to work with difficult emotions at cross purposes with the practice of shikantaza no. on the cushion? No, 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 absolutely not. No. Do shikantaza, sit down, hold still, watch the movement, get up off the cushion, do whatever works for you. Uh, eat ice cream, uh, do yoga all day long. Uh, pray, pray for others. P to pray for others is to pray for yourself. May all beings be happy and at their ease. Pray for them. Pray for everyone. It's such a painful world that we're in. Shokabang. Yes, sir. Earlier you said if you're really listening to somebody, you won't know exactly what they're saying. What is that area? Uh, where we don't know what they're saying. Because that area, if you're really listening, you're on receive. And if you're not listening, you're on producing what you think they're saying. So you're looking at what you think they're saying. So you'll have the, when you listen to what they're saying, you, you won't have a feeling that you understand. You will understand, but not, it won't be in the way of manipulating them or yourself or anything. You actually are completely generous with your attention you're giving that person those people the world your attention you're giving that that's your donation to the world you're giving your attention to others receiving what they say without putting up a, 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 a bunch of concepts and ideas and judgments and evaluations and labels and stickers and post-it notes about what they're saying you have no idea what they're saying go ahead take it into the next step if you want to Shogang, I'm just looking at that area between um, thinking that we know what somebody's saying and not knowing what somebody's saying, but still able to interact with them. And how is it that we're still able to interact with somebody? It works fine. It works fine. You don't need to know what anybody's saying. People just want to hear themselves talk. <laughs> if, they, if they're saying something where they really need a response, they'll say, well, what do you think about that? And then you can say, well, what do you mean? <laughs> and they'll be happy to tell you again what they just said. I'm being a little bit silly with it, but I'm saying, uh, to be serious about it, I'm saying you don't need to, to take everything that comes into your ear and start immediately processing it, evaluating it, seeing whether it's valuable to you, not value, valuable to you, whether the person is smart or not so smart or run on top of things or whether a challenge, are they a threat to me? Do I have to protect myself from this person? The constant barriers going up because we are, we don't want to be vulnerable. We don't want to have this open area. We don't want to open this up, open. We want to lead with our thought process instead of leading with our awareness or with our heart, you could say, uh, to stop short of getting too romantic about it. But you can feel this world. It's, it's available to you everywhere. It's, it's completely available and it's rich. And it's, a, it's a, an astonishing uh, experience to be a living being without any warfare. You can do that. Shokobang. What is a vulnerability that isn't about someone who's open? Paraphrase yourself so I know what you're asking me. Shokabang, what is vulnerability without a credential? Well, that is vulnerability. There's no credential. There's no, no status. You have no status. I mean, I have status. I'm the abbot of a monastery and I wear a rock suit and 
people are ordained and they have robes. So there's there's a status, but that's that's uh, not that's not for you particularly. That's for other people. There's no real status there. More. Shokobang. Um, it seems like culturally there's a sense of if you're vulnerable, you're emotional. And I'm. I hear you. Go on. So, what is a, a vulnerability that? goes beyond just that that simple statement about somebody's emotions. Okay. Vulnerability where there's no one who's vulnerable. There's no being who's threatened. That vulnerability is just an aspect of dependent origination. It doesn't have a self behind it. It's, it's able to function any in any direction it needs to to serve uh, human beings, to serve living beings. It can show up as anything. It can show up as a murderer if necessary. And I'm not just kidding you. I'm saying it'll show up however it needs to show up. So the vulnerability, if you want to take it to the area that I think you're talking about, and I'm perhaps I'm not addressing, might be a vulnerability, might be the, the feeling of being vulnerable as a practitioner on the path that you, you notice you're becoming less and less defended, less and less protected. Things are more and more uh, getting under your skin more or, or maybe frightening you more. That's the path. The ground is suffering. The first first uh, noble truth, the ground is suffering. And the path is uh, understanding this vulnerability. So that's a path quality. Uh, fruition, there may be a period of vulnerability. There may not. But there's no one there. There's no separate being there anymore, nor is that being somehow all mixed in with everybody else. The identity itself is unreal. So as path, feeling vulnerable, but do it anyway. Augie Bowing. Augie. Could, could you describe what's, what, what's going on, what's happening when we're, we're sitting, gazing? at the wall, but then shift our attention, our gaze to somewhere between the wall and where, where I am. Bowing. It's just a, just an aspect of consciousness. Eventually you get so bored with the wall and you get so bored with what's happening inside your mind, you'll start looking at the space between. So, which is also very exciting. I'm not sure what you're asking me there, Augie. I'd be happy to address it more succinctly if uh, uh, if you can state your question other than just what's happening. Yeah, Augie Bowing. Yeah, uh, I think you. I first heard you mention this uh, maybe a couple of months ago. I don't know, and then just automatically uh, after I was noticed, I was lost in thought or whatever, and somehow come come back to the present where I am. And see the wall yeah. again. There's an automatic shift back for some reason that that comes to my mind, and I shift back. And then at that point, I notice I'm present. Is I I I notice my presence, and as well as the wall. And it seems, in my experience, to then accelerate or make happen faster the next spinning out into some story. Uh, and lost story of, of passion, aggression, or whatever, before suddenly noticing that. But it's so, sounds good. What's your question? What do, you, what do you want to know? What what is what is that effect of? Uh, it's just space. What, is your, what is your intention when you when you suggest that, Alan? I don't know. I I don't remember saying it. You do too. <laughs> uh, you do. I, I think I heard you say it tonight as well. What is, Did I? Yeah, what is, the, what is the intention of that technique or that approach, which is quite different from anything I've ever heard from any other teacher? It's either the wall, the floor, but this, this idea of somewhere in between seems unique to me, and I wonder what it's 
what its uh, what its intention, purpose, benefit could be. Bowing. Just it's just space. Here you have a thing over here, and you have a thing over here, and you have an interval. It's like the space between words, the space between thoughts. If you can find the front of the thought and the back of another thought, there's a space between them, a gap. So it's just introducing you to the gap that's right in front of you, the gap between you and everything else. So at some point, that whole gap uh, will vanish. You won't be separate from anything, including the wall. In including, including, including. That will, that, and then that will go away and everything will return back to uh, being separate again. Thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you. Well, we're, we're down to 40, so four people have left. So it must be time to stop. <laughs> okay, then I'll ask the, those in the monastery to uh, dedicate the merit for us. May the merit of this penetrate into all places so that we and every sentient being together can realize the Buddha's way. The ten directions, the three worlds, all Buddhas, all venerable ones, Bodhisattvas, Mahasattvas, the great Prajna Paramita. Bodhisattvas of the ten directions and the three times, please hear us. Please come down out of the light and protect Sokokoji Buddhist Temple Monastery, its buildings, gardens, and all adjoining areas from any and all dark or negative energy. Remove and dissolve any negative energy or devices. Fill everything and everyone with light. Please shield and protect with light our teachers, monks, students, and all practitioners of the Dharma, our families and friends from negative forces and energy from now on. Help us to realize the truth of the Buddha's teachings. If you value the teachings of Sokozan and you would like to support his teaching work and the functions of Sokukoji Buddhist Temple Monastery, which also supports monk and practice residents, please consider giving a donation by visiting our website at sokukoji.org.